Good morning. We are going to read from Ephesians. Sorry, I keep thinking we're in Ephesians this much. We are doing Philippians. Philippians 4, verses 1 through 14. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companions, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction.
sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we set sat by the pots of meat when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So imagine seeing Moses and leading <laughs> that group. Um, instead of looking ahead, oh man, we're having some fun with lights this morning. Um, bear with us. It's always the technology. Um, instead of looking ahead to the promised land, instead of rejoicing in the Lord's provision up to this point, um, they almost immediately started looking around and complaining. Um, so what I want you to do is I want you to compare that story with another story. So we, we have the Israelites in the wilderness almost immediately complaining against Moses, against the leadership because of their situation. Compare that with something that takes place about 1,500 years ago, this time in a Roman prison. Um, this time we have a couple of men who had been sharing the gospel in the city of Philippi. Um, Philippi was a major gateway city between the east and the west, um, between Rome and Greece, and then the, the eastern part of the empire. And so um, this is a natural place that you would want to share the gospel. And so we have these two main characters in the story, Paul, the apostle, and then his ministry partner at the time, Silas. And so Paul and Silas... Um, are at this point on Paul's missionary journey. It's his second missionary journey. And they face opposition, which is nothing new for Paul. This happens everywhere he goes. And so listen to this um, as, we, as we read through this account. Um, this is Acts 16, uh, verses 22 and following. It says, The crowd rose up together against them, against Paul and Silas, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. We'll stop there in the story, but um, think about the contrast there. Think about the fact that even though they were beaten, which sounds horrible, even though they were beaten with rods, even though they were imprisoned, they spent that night singing to God. So the, the contrast is really stark here. We, we have the, the nation of Israel on their way to the promised land, having just seen amazing things happen, and they're complaining. And then we have these two men who have just been beaten, thrown in prison, rejoicing. So there's this choice. How, how do you handle any kind of difficulty in your life? How, how do you handle things going badly? And I think all of us, I, I know I can say this, um, I think all of us at some point in time have been like Israel. Um, we have complained when things weren't happening according to our expectations. We have um, immediately struggled when things didn't seem to be going well. And yet in Christ... We see this model with Paul and Silas. In Christ, we have this amazing opportunity to put our joy in the Lord, to experience an amazing joy right in the midst of the difficulty. Um, this is our last Sunday in a four-week series in Philippians, and um, by now we know a little bit about the situation that is going on there and a little bit of the background with Paul. And so I want you to put yourself in Paul's shoes for a moment, um, maybe understand. 
to Paul there to just put yourself in Paul's sandals. Um, Paul is writing from prison. Um, this is a different, different occasion when he was in prison. He did this a lot. Um, this time was probably while he was in Rome under house arrest. Um, he would have had his own rented quarters and been able to see um, guests come and visit him. And yet um, he was chained to a Roman guard. And so Paul is writing under imprisonment. Um, Paul is still dealing with opposition from false teachers. And he even mentions some other Christians were opposing him in chapter 1. He's writing this letter to some dear friends in Philippi, folks that he considers just beloved friends, um, including these two ladies who are um, having a difficulty with each other. And so there's some opposition even within this church, and you you can imagine that how he must feel writing to deal with this conflict. And then on top of all of that, if that wasn't enough, um, his really good friend Epaphroditus, who's from Philippi, um, Epaphroditus had gotten sick and almost died. And so Paul is dealing with a lot of difficulty in his life. Not really anything new for him, but, but he's dealing with this difficulty. And what's amazing to me is that in the midst of all of that, one of the main themes in this letter is joy. He, he mentions joy or rejoicing 16 different times in what's, you know, like about four pages in the Bible. Um, really short section. He just keeps going back to this theme of joy. Keeps going back to this, this call to them to rejoice. And he actually tells them to rejoice in the Lord always. Always. And, um, you know, if one of us was making that statement, rejoice in the Lord always, you might think that they're exaggerating. <laughs> um, if everything was going well in Paul's life, you might kind of dismiss what he's saying and assume, ah, he doesn't know about my situation. But man, Paul's seen it all. Paul's been through a lot. And so when he says rejoice in the Lord always, I think we should sit up and take notice and listen to what he has to say. This guy has some street credibility. You know, he, he has the ability... At this point, to say, rejoice in the Lord always, and for us to take this seriously. How is it that we're supposed to do this? Really, Paul, always? I mean, what about when circumstances are really bad? How, how can you do that? Um, what about when you're dealing with the kind of conflict in the church that he's addressing, right? I don't know about you, but when I am dealing with conflict or, or people that are not getting along, especially when they're not getting along with me, that's hard. So how, Paul, do we do this? And so what Paul's doing here is he's writing to a church that might be a little bit on edge over this situation, and he's helping to restore their joy in the Lord. And so he's going to give us a lot of information about about how we address this question of joy. And so two things that I I think we're going to see from the book of Philippians today, we're going to be mostly in chapter 4. Uh, The first thing is, how do we find joy? Where do you discover joy? And then the second thing is, how do we keep joy in every circumstance? And so, um, before we really dive into this, um, would you join me in prayer? Let's let's go to the Lord. Um, Lord, as we look at this, um, Father, I I don't want this to be my words. I want this to be your words. Lord, would you please fill us this morning with a satisfaction delight and joy in you. Grant
ability, the, the opportunity, the strength from you that we might have and experience the kind of joy that Paul talks about. Father, I pray that we would come away joyous, that we would come away encouraged, that we might find joy in you, and that that joy might permeate every aspect of our lives, Lord, that even in difficulty, Lord, we would have this gladness in our heart. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. So, um, what is joy? What exactly is joy? Um, I've heard people say that joy and happiness are not the same thing. I think sometimes that gets overstated. Uh, as you study what Paul says about joy, as you, as you see what the Bible as a whole t- says about joy, um, they seem pretty closely related. Um, I, I think if there is a difference, it's that joy is just like happiness, but bigger and better and more permanent. Okay, so think of it in these terms. Um, I got married uh, 20 years ago to my lovely bride, Kimberly. And um, when we got married, um, we received a bunch of gifts. I think we got three toasters. So don't know what you need three toasters for. We ended up giving away a couple. But when I, when I got a toaster, I was happy. When I got the third toaster, I think I was really happy because it was fun. But um, when, when we got a toaster, we were happy. But when I got married, I had joy. See the difference? One, one is a circumstance. One is, one's cool. One's good. But the other is lasting and enduring and bigger and better. Um, another example might be the fact, um, like, if you've gone through school, maybe you went to college, you, you write a lot of papers, you, you take a lot of tests. When you receive an A, you're happy. But when you graduate and you leave with that sense of accomplishment and completion, that's joy. Right? You're done. You made it. You can move on. It's over. Right? That's the difference. Happiness is, is momentary, often fleeting, but joy is, is bigger and much more enduring. And so joy is kind of an abounding, enduring happiness. And for Christians, joy is something that no one can take away from you. Uh, it's not just putting on a fake smile and pretending to be happy and, and how are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm fine. Joy is something deeper than that. It's something, it's, it's rejoicing with an enduring satisfaction and gladness in your heart. It, it's rooted in our faith in Christ. So where does that come from in the Christian life? So fortunately for us, Paul gives us some answers about this in the book of Philippians. So um, I just want to read a few verses for us. Um, there's three times that Paul says in this, this short little book, um, three times that he says, rejoice in the Lord. And so let me just show you these. Um, The first one is Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there and follow along. Philippians 3, 1. Um, Paul says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a command to you. Uh, Two things about this. One is this is a command, um, or at very least he's urging them, rejoice in the Lord. This is something they should do in their faith in Christ. The second thing, though, is that he tells us where that joy is rooted, where it's grounded, and it's in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Uh, He says the same thing over in chapter 4, verse 4, which um, Beth read earlier. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Where do we put our joy? It's in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, a few verses later, chapter 4, verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. What he's talking about there is that they financially uh, provided for him and helped him. And so in each of these, the reason for our rejoicing is the Lord. And that means that if the Lord is the object of my joy and gladness, no one can take that from me. Um, The Lord Jesus Christ is King of kings, Lord of lords, stronger than death itself. He overcame sin in the world. He's coming back one day to restore all things. Some of the stuff that we sang about in the songs today, I mean, those are great things to be singing about. If God is for us, who can be against us? Someone once wrote that joy is this gigantic secret in the Christian life. Right? It's this, this fuel that powers everything that we do. And Paul says that that joy comes from the Lord. It's found in the Lord. And so as, as we think about joy, everything that we do to turn our eyes towards the Lord, to remind ourselves of Him is going to provide us with joy. It's going to point us in the direction of joy. And then everything that we do that distracts us from the Lord, that takes our eyes away from Him, has the potential to steal our joy. And so, things like prayer and time reading the Bible and involvement with people who love the Lord, all those things can help increase our joy in the Lord. But it's not just spiritual disciplines. It's not like the only time you can have prayers while you're reading or have joy is while you're reading the Bible and praying. What Paul does is he shows us how even just situations in life can be opportunities for joy. Anywhere you see God at work is an opportunity for joy. So, so let me show you this as, as we look at a few scenarios in Philippians um, in this letter that he wrote. So Philippians 1 verse 15, Paul is talking about different people sharing the gospel. Philippians 1.15, he says, Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than pure motive, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this, I rejoice. So, this proclamation of the gospel, even though some of it seems to be with really bad motives, this proclamation of the gospel is itself an opportunity for joy for Paul. Paul looks at this, and he says, God is at work, God is using this, and this situation brings me joy. And so, as we think about it, joy is not just this this pie-in-the-sky idea that's unrelated to our circumstances. You know, circumstances bring happiness, or joy is found in the Lord. No, joy can be found even in our circumstances. Paul looks around at the situation and says, wow, this is really cool that the gospel is being proclaimed, and even if some people have bad motives, I rejoice. I find joy in this. Look at another instance. Um, Chapter 2, verses 25 and following, Paul is talking about his friend Epaphroditus. 
And he says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister in my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So here we have Paul encouraging them to find great joy in this situation with this man Epaphroditus. Um, he had been sick, but through through their prayers that they had seen him recover. And so we find joy in this circumstance of this brother who is now healthy again. We find joy in recognizing that God was at work here bringing good in this situation. And we find joy in the fact that this man was doing all of this to advance the gospel. That he was doing all of these things to, to help the church in this regard. One more instance, Philippians 4.1. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my dear brethren. Paul calls the folks in Philippi his joy. They, they themselves are his joy. And so as he thinks about them, he, he just finds great reason to rejoice in their faith, in their friendship, in who they are. And so I want you to think about your own life. What are the opportunities where you have seen God at work in your life that are reasons for joy, for rejoicing in the Lord? Um, maybe it is some amazing sunset you saw, right? Just a little thing. Or maybe it's something bigger. Maybe it's when a child is born or when someone that you know comes to faith in Christ, right? That there are opportunities in our lives to turn our attention back to God and say, wow, Lord, that was amazing, that thing that you did, right? Maybe it was just an answer to prayer. Maybe it wasn't even something huge, but you see God at work, and you recognize in this circumstance that He is present, that He is with us, and that's a, a reason for us to rejoice in the Lord. And so, in each of these things, anywhere you see God at work, it's an opportunity for rejoicing in the Lord. And so that means that our faith in Christ is, is sort of like this lens that we view all of life through. And we can go through life and miss all of it, or we can go through life with this lens on and, with, and recognize, man, God is at work here. God is doing things. And because of that, I have reason to rejoice. And that's what Paul's saying. And so our joy is not anchored just in our circumstances, because your circumstances sometimes are good and sometimes they're terrible. Our joy is anchored in the character of the Lord. We can trust Him. We know that He's present with us, and we can rely on Him. And so even when things are bad, even when we're lamenting over a situation, those things can point us back to the Lord. And our joy is found in Him. Um, often, actually, our joy is 
not oriented in the present. It's, it's more kind of a future thing. And so um, when Israel was in the wilderness, they weren't rejoicing. They were complaining. They, they were looking at their momentary situation. They needed food, and it was hot out. Instead of looking ahead, that God had promised the promised land. They, they were on their way to an amazing situation, but they were focused too much on the, on the present situation. Um, often, our joy is found in looking ahead. And so I, I want to give you another example. Look at how Peter talks about this. First Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 through 9. Listen to, listen to how Peter describes this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, you who are protected by the power of God through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of joy, full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. So Peter describes this in very future-oriented terms. He says that there's a hope that we have in Christ that is reserved in heaven. Right? We don't have it yet. It's reserved set aside, um, reserved in heaven, and it's to be revealed in the last time. We have not seen and experienced and received our hope yet. It is future. It's going to be great. But we don't have it yet. We're looking ahead to that hope. Um, and then in verse 6 he says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though, even though you're dealing with distress and various trials and all these other things, those things don't steal your joy. Why? Because you have this hope in something that is imperishable, in, in something that cannot be defiled. So how do you rejoice in the midst of difficulty? You look ahead with hope in Jesus Christ. Their joy, these folks that Peter's writing to, was not found in their present circumstance. It was found in their faith in Christ, which is more valuable than gold. Where do you find joy? Joy is found in the Lord. Joy is found when we see God at work. Joy is anchored deeply in the character of God. And so if we want to have joy, it's all about how we respond to the Lord in faith. Right? Instead of being like the Israelites and grumbling and complaining in the wilderness, right? because they didn't believe the promises of God, we have to put our faith in the Lord and trust in Him. And that's, that's where we find joy. Joy. And so it means not looking back. It means looking ahead with, with faith in what he's promised. So Paul wants these folks in Philippi to experience that kind of joy. And if you've ever dealt with con 
conflict between people, you know that one of the first things to go is joy. Um, yeah, it's, it's really tough when somebody's upset, especially when they're upset with you, to feel joyful. Right? That's one of the first things to go. And so Paul is addressing this situation in Philippi, and he wants them to have the right perspective on these things. And he's going to point out something that I think we've probably all experienced here. Um, and that's that anxiety can steal our joy. Maybe you've experienced that yourself, um, where things are, things are looking bad in some way. Um, whether that's relational or financial or whatever the case is. And anxiety just immediately steals your joy. So if you're going to keep your joy, if you're going to hang on to joy in every circumstance, one of the first things you have to do is deal with anxiety. And so what Paul does here is he offers us some really practical advice on how to experience peace in our life so that we don't have anxiety dragging us down, how to have peace in our life so that then we can experience joy to the fullest and rejoice in the Lord always. And so I just want to walk us through this this passage here, Philippians 4. We're going to start in verse 6. And man, if, if you need something to memorize, if you're not sure what passage of Scripture to memorize, this little section here is just great. Um, Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then Paul goes right into this. He offers them these words. And prayer has this amazing ability to correct our perspective. Um, it lifts the horizon for us. Instead of staring at our problem, obsessed with our problem, we look up and we see the Lord. We're reminded that God is still on the throne, that he's still in control, that we can give our problems to him. And some of the things that Paul says in, in this, these two verses are really important. I just want to point out one of them. He says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Bring your request to God. Man, I think that's a really important piece of this. So often we go to God and we're like, everything's terrible, God. No, hold on. Lord, I don't understand the situation, but I know you're still good. And I know that you have provided even in the midst of this, and I, I know it could be worse, and thank you for all the good things I see around me. I'm just struggling with this one. Could you please help me in this situation? And so instead of going to the Lord with a spirit of grumbling and complaining and why is God so bad or something like that, we go with thanksgiving. We go with this spirit of gratitude to God, recognizing his incredible provision and asking him for one more thing. So what Paul is doing there is he's showing them that prayer brings peace. So in, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of some kind of difficulty that you're facing, take those things to God. It's going to be really hard to experience joy and peace and all that God has for you if you're obsessed over this problem. So the first thing that you need to do is bring that thing to God, and he'll give you peace. It says that he will give you the peace that surpasses all comprehension. The world won't understand it. Your friends might not even understand it. How are you dealing with this thing, right? Maybe you find out you have cancer. Maybe that you're dealing with some kind of loss in your family, and you have peace. 
in the midst of that, how? Surpasses all comprehension. It's something that came from God himself. God granted it to you as a gift as a result of going to him in prayer. Paul goes on to say that right thinking, right behavior also bring peace in our lives. So look at what he says in verses 8 and 9. He says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's anything, if any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is acknowledging a really important concept in all of this. And that is that if you continue obsessing over the wrong things in your life, if you continue making foolish decisions, you're not going to have peace. You probably shouldn't have peace. Right? If if you're going in a direction away from the Lord, if you're obsessing over all the wrong things, you're not going to have peace. Instead, you're going to have a little blinking red indicator life on the dashboard saying, something's wrong. <laughs> and that's there for a reason. It's there to help you. Right? I, I feel like things are bad. I need help. Right? What Paul's saying is if we can begin to think about the right things, right? dwell and meditate on the truth, Right? Stop believing in lies. That will help us. That will help us to experience peace. Um, this, by the way, this is a, a really convicting verse if you think about it in terms of the, the media that we consume. Right? How many of the movies and TV shows and social media and YouTube videos and all that stuff, how many of them fit this category? Things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and of good repute. Those things that are excellent and worthy of praise. What he's telling us is that those are the things that we should fill our minds with. Right? So scripture obviously fits that need, fits that mold. Um, there are lots of things that are good and appropriate and helpful for us. And there's some other things that would just drag you down, that will divert your eyes away from the Lord, that will make it more difficult for you. Now, one of the worst things about television in general isn't cuss words and immorality. It's the fact that God is never mentioned. There's no mention of the Lord in any of our shows. Why? Because this secular mindset has crept in so much that we don't even acknowledge Him. We, we think you can go through all of life without Him. Right? The things that are true and honorable and pure and lovely, those are the things that are going to point us back towards God. And so we need to consider carefully, what are we filling our minds with? And then are we living our lives accordingly? Because that's what he says here. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Man, I hope someday, <laughs> not there yet, to be able to say like Paul, just imitate me. You'll be good if you just imitate me. Um, I hope we're all moving in that direction to where we can say, like, I'm, I'm going to be a model for you of what it looks like to live the Christian life. And if, as long as you just do all that stuff, you're going to be okay. Um, Paul is able, he's been living this Christian life for long enough and has had God at work in his life long enough that he's able to say, all that stuff that I've been giving you and all that stuff you saw in my life, just do that and you'll be good. 
great. You'll have peace in your life. So Paul's saying, prayer brings peace in our life. Right thinking and right behavior brings peace in our life. And then one more thing that's a really important piece that we don't want to miss here is that we rely on God's strength to bring peace in our life. So listen to what he says in, in the verses that follow here. Philippians 4, 10 through 14. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. He's going to go on in, in the verses that follow to talk about a financial gift that they've provided to him. We're not going to get into all that, but the setting here, the context is that they have provided financially to help Paul in his mission work. I rejoice that you revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In every, or in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you've done well to share with me. 13 just to point this out. This is everybody's favorite verse to misquote, right, or, or to use inappropriately. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Please, if you if you join the gym, right, and you start weightlifting, bodybuilding, don't get a t-shirt that has this on it. That's not what he's talking about. Paul's not saying that you know you can bench press 800 pounds through Christ who gives you strength. That's not what this is about. Um, this isn't saying you can leap over tall buildings. Through Christ who gives you strength. What Paul's talking about, you saw the context here. This is about learning to be content in every situation. And how do we get to the place where we have that kind of contentment, that kind of peace, where we have that joy no matter what? It's through Christ who gives us strength. So some of this, I think this is really important because we might get the wrong idea. We might get the wrong impression from what he's been saying up to this point. That somehow this is just the power of positive thinking. Stop thinking about bad, negative things. Start thinking about good, positive things. That'll be uplifting and you'll feel better. There's an element of that, right? We do need to set our mind on the correct things. We do need our thinking shaped and changed by God. But it's not just the power of positive thinking. This is a strength that comes from God himself. He's the one that enables us. To experience that kind of contentment, that kind of joy. And so, man, it's, it's real important. Don't, don't take this verse out of context. Because Greg will make fun of you or something. Um, we don't want to ignore the power of God in our lives. The, the, the reason that Christians have joy is because we have experienced the power of God. And the reason we continue to have joy is that we continue to experience the power of God in us, strengthening us, strengthening us changing us, making us to be like Christ. Um, this morning I started with those two stories, right? I started with the um, nation of Israel in the wilderness, complaining and grumbling against God. And I, I also shared that story of Paul and Silas in a Roman prison, rejoicing and singing praise to God. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to read some more in that story. Paul and Silas in prison. Um, it's Acts 16. Let me go back to that. Acts chapter 16. 
I'll start again in verse 25. And it says, About midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Now you can imagine the situation. Woohoo! We're free! Run away! Right? When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourselves, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, he may have meant that the way we talk about being saved, but he may have just meant, what do I do so that the Romans don't kill me, right? Because I'm terrified that if you guys leave, I'm dead, right? Because in, in their setting, if you released, if you somehow, as a jailer, allowed the prisoners to escape, their sentence would become your sentence. So he knew, I'm a dead man if this goes the wrong way. Well, listen to how Paul and Silas respond. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole house. In verse 27, he's about to kill himself. In verse 34, he rejoiced greatly. What happened in between there? How is it that this man who is suicidal is suddenly rejoicing greatly? Well, in between there, he heard the gospel. In between there, he believed in the power of God and his life was changed forever. Have you heard the gospel? Have you believed the gospel? Do you remember what it was like to experience the joy of the Lord for the first time? We as Christians have this indestructible joy. It's anchored in God himself, who is unchanging, who is all-powerful. He's the creator and savior and redeemer. He's the one that we can trust. And so no one can take your joy from you. It can't be stolen. If you lose it, it's an inside job. Right? It's something that we do to ourselves. Um, no one can take your joy from you. And so each of us needs to turn to the Lord and, and look to Him for strength. And don't forget to rejoice. Because here's the thing. Paul is writing to this church and he's reminding them that we have a mission. That we're in this together. And all of this advice that he's been giving to the church and to these two ladies and, and the whole situation, all of this is relevant to us today. We need to live in harmony. That's really important. We need to pursue unity in the church. Um, considering the other person. Looking out for their needs above our own. Uh, we need to work hard for the cause of Christ. Seeing the gospel go forth. We're on a mission. right? Uh, our, our lives are not just about pursuing the American dream and, and all of that. We have a mission from the Lord. To take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to your next door neighbor. And we need to rejoice in the Lord. 
Um, I want to share with you um, one last thing, and that's a, a story about a couple friends down in Dallas when I was in school down there, going to seminary. Um, as you guys know, Jacob and I went to school at the same time together at Dallas Theological Seminary, and one of our mutual friends was a guy named Chris Skinner, actually, and his wife, Chris and Susie Skinner. And um, Chris stood out on campus because he drove a wheelchair around campus. Chris was paraplegic. Um, in his earlier years, um, he was a bit of a wild child um, and um, partying a lot. He was a baseball player and hanging out with some probably a pretty wild crowd. And um, one night, he and his friends were out drinking and um, driving down a, a dark road and um, had an accident. He was thrown from the vehicle, and he wasn't a believer at the time. Thrown from the vehicle, ended up in a ditch pretty far away, and um, ended up in a hospital. Woke up in a hospital and wanted to die. And he realized that he had lost all use of his legs down and most use of his arms. And over the course of the next year or so, God eventually got hold of his heart. And he came to faith in Christ and eventually came to a place where he was thankful for what the Lord did to get his attention. Where he was grateful that God would allow that horrible accident to happen because he was better off as a result. Um, he married a, a lady, Susie, who is, I believe, one of the most saintly people I've ever met. <laughs> she was amazing. She is amazing. She's an um, occupational therapist, and so she was actually the one who was helping him in the hospital, and they got married. And she serves him in just incredible ways. And so uh, here you have this, this woman who is constantly serving her husband. And you have this man who has this joy in the Lord, even though he has some really tough things to deal with in his life. And um, watching them is just incredible. You have this, this couple who represents so well everything that Paul is, is talking about here. They were a model of humble service to one another, a model of commitment to Christ, and of joy. And Susie Skinner was one of the most joyful people I've ever met, even though she had a lot of challenges. Um, the two of them just represented this so incredibly well. And I just want to point out that some of you do as well. Some of you represent this kind of humble service, this kind of commitment to Christ, this joy that permeates your life, and it is awesome. It's what the world needs to see. The world needs to see Christians who are just exuding joy in everything that they do. They have the power of God in their life. So I just want to encourage you guys, like Paul does, to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, Father, I just thank you, Lord, this morning for the incredible hope that we have in Christ. Father, thank you for, for who you are, Lord, and for your incredible love for us. That no matter what's going on in our lives, Lord, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but in every situation we can trust you. Father, would you strengthen us the way Paul talked about it, that he had learned in every situation to be content because of Christ who gives me strength. Lord, would you do that in us? Would you grant us the strength and the faith 
that we might have peace even in the midst of difficulty, and that a joy that is contagious would permeate our lives as well. Father, bless this church, we pray. Amen. Please stand with me. Let's sing one last song.